Welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. Hello and welcome to our debut Spotlight series, where we shine the light on the freshest authors and their work. Today we have the pleasure of shining the spotlight on Rabbit Hole, a dazzling debut exploring the dark side of true crime fandom and the blurry lines of female friendship. Rabbit Hole follows Teddy as she reels from her father's suicide and begins an obsession with solving her older sister's cold case disappearance. Kate Brody is a writer based in LA. She received her MFA from NYU and her work has featured in Lit Hub, The Rumpus, Noema and The Literary Review, among other publications. Her debut novel, Rabbit Hole, will be published by Bloomsbury in the UK and Soho Crime in the US. And actually, it's out in the UK today. So go buy your copy. Uh, we are thrilled to have Kate with us to chat about her incredible book. Welcome to a pair of bookends. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm really excited and I've actually read your book twice now um, and I loved it even more the second time, which just goes to show how amazing it is. <laughs> wow, thank you. I've not read it twice, but I, I also... It's not a competition, like, Lydia, don't like, worry. Come on, don't show me up in front of me yet. <laughs> we would uh, we always start our podcast by asking our favorite question which is what are you currently reading so I just finished um Lindsay Hunter's Hot Springs Drive which I think maybe just came out in the UK it was out here in I think November and I feel like it's sort of in the same family as Rabbit Hole like in that domestic thriller space and follows these two women who are neighbors until one of them is murdered by someone you know involved in one of the families um and it's just incredibly incredibly written like the sentences are beautiful and Lindsay Hunter is able to explore so much of these families in such a short period we hear from the sons and the husbands I just thought it was incredible. So I just finished that. And then I'm um, starting on a uh, book of Ayn right now, which is Lexi Freeman and is very funny so far. It's like a canceled writer who moves from New York to LA um, and looks for spiritual salvation in the works of Ayn Rand. I'm sold. I'm yeah. sorry, tell me anything else. I'm sold. <laughs> I love that. I've not heard of either of those. So I'm I'm really excited to I'm gonna add those to my list straight away. Definitely adding them to our list. hundred percent. So as it this episode is part of our debut spotlight series, Kate, we like to ask authors what their experience has been like in having their debut published. So could you tell us a bit more about what this experience has been like for you? Yeah, it's um very surreal right now because the book came out uh, almost two weeks ago in the US. So the the publication timeline is so long. I mean, we sold the book almost two years ago. So after we finished edits and did all the, you know, copy editing and cover design and all of that, I've still been kind of done done with it for almost a year and a half. So it's very weird. Like you don't think about this work for a while. Everyone else is just kind of working on it. And then the publicity ramps up. All of a sudden it starts to feel real again. And then it comes out and it's very real. And you kind of felt like maybe it was never going to come out because such a huge amount of time has passed. So it has been very cool. It's a whirlwind. I mean, the publicity part of it is, I think, doesn't really dovetail with like a lot of writing skills. So it's been a, a sort of separate learning experience to 
figure out how to promote the book and connect with readers, but it's been very positive. I think I, I'm lucky to have a great team uh, in the UK and a great team here. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's exhausting, but I'm, I'm trying not to complain. I very much remember being on the side of like, you know, being at these readings and listening to writers complain about being tired and, <laughs> and thinking like champagne problems. So uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> no I, I completely get that and, and me and Lydia have said on the podcast before like we're we're both actors so we we don't enjoy listening to actors that have made it talking about <laughs> how difficult it is but oh, I <laughs> but I have spoken to a lot of a lot of writers that have said that they you know they obviously love writing and they really enjoy the process of writing a book as difficult as it can be sometimes but it's the publicity is just something that's that's not what they signed up for. Like, yeah. <laughs> they don't want to have to do that part. They just want to kind of stay in the room that they write in, write the book, let it go out into the world and just have no more to do with it. Yeah, no, I get that. I kind of feel like my part is done. Like I wrote the book, you know, yeah. people will tag you in their reviews too. So you're kind of just minding your own business and all of a sudden you're c confronted with somebody's thoughts about the book. Um, which, you know, that's great for them. Like they should definitely express those thoughts. I don't know that I need to be that, that intimately involved in it. I'm trying to <laughs> kind of insulate myself from even the really positive feedback can be a little uncomfortable. Like a, a former boss of mine was texting me about the book the other day and I, and like trying to get into like the nitty gritty of like the sex scenes. And I, I was just like, ah, I don't want to talk about <laughs> Oh, like I feel like you've seen me naked now and I just think you should talk about this with somebody else <laughs> well I'm I'm really sorry that we're probably going to be just no, as insufferable no, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be just as bad um I do have I to come ask... on to the podcast I'm like I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk <laughs> well you've had your opportunity to talk about other books that you've read so now it's time to talk about yours it's only fair I also need to ask because it's a debut novel, how does a debut novelist get an endorsement from Mila Kunis? Yes. So actually I taught her kid. I'm a teacher. So I taught her kids um, oh and gosh. I was teaching them when I sold the book to Bloomsbury. So and we, I, we actually sold it in the UK first, which is kind of unusual. Wow. So that was my first um, sale, which was is such a big morning. I was like on my way to work. Um, my husband and I worked together. So he was driving and I got a call from my agent saying like, it's going to be a real book. We sold it to Bloomsbury. Um, and it was like 15 minutes before her kids showed up. So I was kind of overwhelmed. Um, and then they were the first ones in and she was like, what's going on with you? And I was like, I sold my book, <laughs> which was very cool. And then she was very gracious. She was like, oh, can I read it? You know, she's a big reader. Um, so yeah, if Mila Kunis asks you to read her, your book, I yeah, there you go. <laughs> I was like at Staples, um, and she took it on their spring break vacation, and she read it and was like gracious enough to give me a blurb. So it was very nice of her. Incredible. So cool. Yeah, very cool. I don't think like I would never shut up about that if I was you. Yeah. So. <laughs> I've literally open every conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Would you be interested in reading my book? You know, highlighting that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, talking about the book, can we get 
into deep diving into this absolutely brilliant book. Honestly, I loved every second of it. It's riveting, it's tense, it's dramatic. And it's such a, a brilliant book that I feel like you have to just kind of like set aside time so you can devour it yeah. because you have to just like once you've started it and you're not going to be able to get it out of your head. You have to you have to know what happens. And it's it, it truly is a brilliant experience. And Hannah's done it twice. So it goes to show you just how good Even it better is. the second time would recommend. <laughs> oh, well, I'm going to have to now, aren't I? I'll read it three times. I'll need you. <laughs> But yeah, so one of the things that I found really interesting about the book was kind of how much the internet and chat forums and kind of like the Reddit culture is encapsulated a lot in Teddy's journey throughout. Why did you want Teddy, who's the main character, I should add, why did you want her world to be so like online? Mm -hmm. I think so. I, I wrote a book before Rabbit Hole that kind of failed and well I I still love it but it failed to find an agent and it wasn't a super plot heavy book and also I set it in like the 80s and 90s I think literally as a way of avoiding cell phones because they they force you to write a lot differently the way we communicate now is so different and really um, heavily text-based which you can incorporate pretty seamlessly into a novel you know texting and email and things like that but I didn't, I had seen it go wrong, I guess, you know, I'd seen people do it in a way that it didn't ring true. And it's kind of a pet peeve of mine, you know, I think because we spend so much time online, when we see a false version, that doesn't sound right, we're so tuned into that. But then with this book, when I started writing it, I felt like it was kind of a cop out to to keep like changing the timeline just to avoid that. And I think with this story, if you are like now going to investigate any kind of cold case disappearance, that is going to involve a huge amount of internet research. That's just kind of how we do everything now. And in Teddy's case, she's also so isolated. Like I think she is because of Angie's disappearance. She's kind of frozen in time from, you know, Angie disappeared when she was a teenager. In the intervening years, she has not moved out of her parents' house. She's back teaching at the school she went to high school. So she doesn't have like a really robust life outside of her house and her family, which has all, all of that has kind of deteriorated as well. So that kind of character, I think, also would seek refuge in the internet. And and the people that she's encountering there are sort of strangely just like her in, the, in that they're also kind of socially isolated. And that's, I think, what for better and worse, the internet is a home for people like that. Um, and it can be a, a place where you build community in earnest, but can also be a place that allows these kind of like unhealthy obsessions to fester. Absolutely. And I think that's really well put. And I, I I really enjoyed is maybe the wrong word, but I love the way that like at one point Teddy is obsessively checking her emails, her phone, her DMs, like obsessively. Che- and I have been at that point, and I'm sure a lot of us have, where we've sent a message and gone, oh, well, they've read it. They've read it. <laughs> Like, why have we not got a reply? And have sat there, like, refresh, refresh, refresh. And I think that, you know, Teddy's personality, I feel like she's sort of predisposed to being that type of person, kind of being obsessive in nature. Mm-hmm. I feel like something like the internet is so easy for her to just kind of fall into this trap of, like, now I can't get out of this cycle of checking and posting and checking and posting. And I think that you write it really well. How difficult was it to get that kind of balance of, like, how much 
to put her in the online world and to keep her in reality. I actually, I think in edits, we upped the amount of of like Reddit and the internet that was in the book. The feedback, well, the feedback we were getting was kind of mixed. It was, it was almost a, a generational divide. Like older readers just really sometimes did not respond at all to that material. But a lot of younger readers who do spend a lot of time like on our phones and things like that really liked it. And the, and a lot of that feedback was like more Reddit, more, you know, more internet, even like more of the kind of old school MySpace AIM stuff. So we added a lot in, and I think that helps too with the sense that she is becoming like increasingly obsessed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Teddy is like my dark doppelganger in a way. Like I, I identify with that a lot. I was off social media for like 10 years because I just know myself and I know if I dip my toe in, I fixate. And even now, like I'm back on for the book stuff and I feel like a junkie. Like I feel like addicted to my phone. (laughs) Um, and I cannot wait until, you know, I'm giving it like two more months and then I'm going to take a big step back, um, from all of this. But yeah, I think striking that balance was like largely just kind of feeling out what the text could support and making sure that there was a sense that she was becoming like more and more enmeshed in this world. I loved Teddy. I thought she was such a great character. And I think what I love most about her is is how like messy and complex that she was. And, you know, you saying that she's like a dark, your dark doppelganger, I love that. Um, Because I felt very attracted to the fact that she was like that. And I think, you know, more and more, we've said this on the podcast before, but more and more we've seen these types of female characters being written by female authors, you know, not, and I don't feel like you shied away from those parts of her. You know, she's very, complex she's very flawed and chaotic and you know some might say unhinged (laughs) but (laughs) but I really enjoyed you know reading that and you know I wanted to ask like what do you think attracts us to these types of characters I think I mean I think a lot of contemporary writers I'll include myself in this were very inspired by like the when Otessa Moshfeg kind of like blazed onto the scene with these like really messy characters um, because it felt so permission giving. Like I remember reading those books and thinking, okay, so like there, there, there's no kind of upper limit to like how gross or like gritty or uncomfortable you can make it. Um, and especially with a first person narrative like this one, you're in Teddy's head. So I think, I think if we're being honest with ourselves, we do have a lot of very unpleasant, subversive, like strange thoughts. And a a lot of what Teddy does is very unhinged. But a lot of what she's kind of thinking and ruminating on, I don't think is that far from the norm. Like I think really, if it's just, it's difficult to read. We're not used to like reading very frank first like first person accounts of people's mm-hmm. thoughts but I like the the dark doppelganger thing like there was a moment in my 20s where I felt like things were just out of control and it did feel like there were two possible paths and it was like I could either get it together which I did <laughs> thankfully or like things could kind of spin out and the stuff that happens to her like some of the scenes in the book they felt very possible to me. Like they felt within reach. I think when your life is kind of out of control like that, you you have a sense that you're always kind of like on the edge of the abyss. So some of those scenes, like there's a scene um, where she's kind of like drinking too much at a school dance and like the 
the cringe of that scene. Mm-hmm. Like I felt it writing it because I, it, it felt so like a possible alternate universe, you know, like I could, I could imagine making those kind of bad decisions that would lead to that place. So there's something really cathartic about just like going for it with a character. Like, okay, let's see what would happen if I just absolutely took the rails off <laughs> or, you know, but there's also something that it's like, it's, it hurts a little bit to look at because mm-hmm. it feels so home. I think it's so funny that you mentioned that moment at the school dance because obviously I've read it twice so like the second time I obviously knew that was coming up but as it was approaching I was like oh god here we go here we go here we go like, I can't. and I wanted to kind of close the book because it really makes your skin crawl I was like oh no yeah. it's so embarrassing and it's you know it's just when the, te- the other teacher like taps her on the shoulder and she, she doesn't realize like how long they've been stood there like that and it's like a different song's on so they've been there quite a while and it's just it gets more and more like cringy the more you read <laughs> yeah. so thank you for getting under my skin like that <laughs> and that the tap on the shoulder like that kind of kindness in those mm-hmm. it's like the worst you know you yeah. almost would just be like get it together like yeah. they're so gentle and you're acting like such an animal and <laughs> yeah it, um, I, I had a lot of fun writing those but yeah at the, my New York launch some of my former students came out and they were like we're so excited to read the book and I was like don't l- read into any of this <laughs> not based on true story <laughs> oh my god I love that <laughs> as well what you were saying about a lot of these things that we we might call like chaotic or unhinged or whatever like they are like just because they're being written in this frank way it, it is it is re- reality isn't it like and and what you were saying about you know when you were in your early 20s and how you kind of perceived yourself like I do sometimes I, th- I was watching this TikTok the other day and it was like when you find yourself doing like weird things in the house and then you yeah. like come out of it and you're like what was that like why am I doing that and I feel like I have so many moments like that but I think growing up I watched so many films or like read books and things and it was like this these romanticized like ideals of of people and it just wasn't truth so I think like now that people are writing these really frank and honest portrayals of what we're actually like as human beings we're calling it chaotic and unhinged but actually it's just reality (laughs) like we are all just this weird (laughs) no I think that's fair I mean there's a moment in the book where Teddy's kind of like if my mom could see what I do when I'm alone and I don't think she's thinking of anything like particular just the kind of way that you are a strange animal when you're by yourself and I, and now I have kids so my oldest is five my youngest is two and it is funny with kids because you really get so close to that like they, they and they don't have any shame the shame is I think what we feel in the text is like that layered with the shame but yeah, sometimes I'm like, oh, we just have these like two raccoons who live in the house. You know, they like <laughs> are basically feral. <laughs> yeah, I have a I have a pair of raccoons myself, and um, they yeah, I, I think that's a they perfect... are feral. They are very feral. They are yeah. feral. They are, they are wild. But that's I, I just think my my life is always chaotic and unhinged. I've never tried no. to hide it, and maybe like the opposite of normal that you know usually people try and cover up the weirdness, whereas I've embraced it too much. <laughs> there is line <laughs> I have crossed. <laughs> Not sure I can go back, but you know, whatever. <laughs> But thank you for writing a novel that does embrace the chaos. (laughs) 
um, one of the other things that I really enjoyed about the book, on a more serious note, was the the mystery of the disappearance of Teddy's sister Angie. And we follow Teddy as she attempts to try and solve this mystery, and she invests so much time and energy into into trying to solve the case that she kind of starts to lose her own sense of identity if she ever really had one in the first place. And it's such a fascinating way of kind of showing her her road to self-destruction, shall we say. <laughs> what was it like kind of plotting and creating that kind of curve that she goes on in, in the book? So yeah, the plot stuff, I think that was that was like really the work of editing for me was making sure I've never written a mystery or a thriller, however people want to categorize part of the book and so it's tough it's tough to do because like you it has to be surprising to you at least once right for it to be surprising to the reader but then after a while you're not surprised by it so you can't really tell where the suspense is in the book and so there was a lot a lot of like mechanical work went into shaping that kind of investigation and Teddy's like Teddy's spiraling I guess was easier to write like as that's happening and Teddy's sort of spinning out that all made sense to me. I think just as part of her grief process, like she's, there's this like one kind of grief that they, they're all experiencing around Angie's loss because there's been no closure. And at some point they just kind of had to stop hoping. And then that's kind of contrasted with the event right on page one, which is her father's suicide, which requires this kind of immediate response that she's really not ready to have. So I think in some ways, I mean, I thought a lot about like, what is she looking for? Like, does she actually want or like think she's going to find Angie? Like, what does she think is going to happen here? Um, but I think in some ways it's just about not letting go. Like if she lot if she let go of the investigation, she'd not only be letting go of Angie, but she'd also be letting go of like her last tie to her dad. So it's this way of sort of forestalling grief and instead, you know, just trans muting it into this like other kind of experience this obsession and that also I think that rang true for like my experience of grief which is you just really can't process it often like at first so the fact that she would throw herself into this other thing and try to kind of just have this other experience and that that would be ill-advised and kind of this slippery thing that sort of made sense but yeah the plotting of it was was definitely tricky. I, I honestly, we added and took out so many different things and like played around with so many different ideas that I'm not totally sure what made it into the final version. Like <laughs> I think I know, but um, I'll revisit it one of these days and like ask, ask Hannah. Hannah's ready. Oh, Hannah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I want to talk a bit more about grief. Um, actually, you know, I, I know we're laughing, but um, it's not funny. Listen, if you can't, no, if you can't laugh about grief. You know. Well, you are the queen of laughing at grief. I'm, I'm queen of of taking the grief word and making it fun. <laughs> gonna get that on a t-shirt I think you should I really do Kate you said in an interview with Writer's Digest that you knew you wanted this has gone really formal all of a sudden this is not the vibe of the podcast (laughs) I was like (laughs) hang 
fuck? We don't do formals. So that was weird. I'm just trying to get the quote directly so that I don't butcher right, okay. it. <laughs> let, you, let you do the quote and put then. Okay, thank you. In. That's it. Okay. So you did say in an interview with Writers Digest, as far as I'm aware, that you knew you wanted to write about grief and sisterhood. And, you know, we've just been talking about grief then, and you mentioned like your own experience with grief. And grief is obviously such a universal experience, but I think it's also something that's very like specific and individual at the same time, if that makes sense. How did you kind of figure out the portrayal of grief that you wanted to represent on the page? And and it, was it difficult to to write that? Yeah, I think I I had so I, my dad died, and then that I felt like I didn't really process that particularly well. And then around the same time, my my mom was just really in the throes of addiction, and that went on for so many years. Um, and she got so sick that we it was almost it felt almost like the disappearance to me in the sense that we just kind of my sisters and I were were kind of constantly saying to each other like isn't this so weird like we had this experience with dad where he died and now it feels like we're in this protracted thing with her where it feels like this death that's just not happening you know like you you almost there'd be like a relief in it because you're waiting you know every time the phone rings you think oh this is it um and so I think those two experiences kind of informed the book and then got obviously changed um, into the story. But um, yeah, that that felt like the, the origin of it, like kind of living in that space. Um, and then the sisterhood part. I mean, I just I love writing. I think fictionally, I mean, I have two sisters, um, but it's such an interesting relationship mm-hmm. because they're not your friends you're totally stuck with them. Like there is a, I was talking to um, Nishida Parekh who has a book coming out this month and she had these, she has these two characters in her book who are sisters. And she said, initially they were friends. And then the note was to change them to sisters because it was too toxic a friendship, which made so much sense to me because it's like, oh, how can I fix this? They're so and then they have to be together. And her book is a locked room mystery. Um, so I said to her, you know, it's so interesting. Like it kind of adds to that claustrophobia because sisterhood is its own kind of like locked room you are Mm -hmm. just like you are in it um for the first part of your life it is almost literally a locked room like you are stuck in the house with these people and I think for Teddy and Angie that's true like they are the kind of sisters who cannot understand how they were born to the same parents you know and they're like stuck living under the same roof Teddy is this kind of you know goody goody Angie is the black sheep and yet when she's gone, there's also this sort of phantom limb thing that Teddy has where she feels her there and the promise of of Angie, like when she's cleaning up all of um, the mess Mark left behind and taking care of her mom and she thinks like this was never supposed to be my job to do mm-hmm. this by myself because um, whatever their disagreements were, that is that's kind of the promise of mm-hmm. sibling is that you're in it for life. Like these they, these people share your history. So that was, I think my interest in sisters is, is sort of perennial. I, I just love that. I think you can stretch that relationship so far on the page in, in so many different directions. And then with Mickey, who's kind of Angie's doppelganger, her and Teddy are both searching for something like that, but it's so hard to replicate. Like it is very hard to, even when you have friends who are like a sister, like they're just not like at the end of the day, you can have a blowout fight and never see that person again. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think the I wanted to play it with that too, with with Mickey being like a somewhat 
uncanny version of Angie, that that relationship would also be a kind of uncanny sisterhood. That's not quite, not quite at peace. Yeah, I, I think reading about sisterly, like sister dynamics is one of my favorite things to read. Um, and I think you did it so well in managing to represent that relationship, even though Angie's no longer there. And I think that's, you know, that must have been quite difficult to do, but you somehow found a rhythm with it and it worked really well. And I also love that you mentioned, I think you said your your friend is an author and is writing this book. And I love that their note was that it was too toxic a friendship. Yeah. So it had to be changed to sisters because I feel like sisters are like toxic friends to each other. Yeah. And, I, and I'm the oldest of, of four. So it's um it's, it's a joy always to, <laughs> to think. <laughs> what, sorry? Right, all girls. All girls, yeah. So you can imagine the chaos of that. Um, Have you read um, Coco Meller's new book that's coming out yet? That's not gorgeous. yet. I'm so desperate to read it. So desperate. Um, but was, no. We were in a writing group briefly in LA, but we overlapped at NYU. So it's been fun, like following her career. because Oh so my gosh. Yeah. I mean, is it Fourth Estate that are publishing Blue Sisters? Yeah. yeah. Uh, if Fourth Estate are listening, you know, we're more than open to proof. So let me tell you that. <laughs> I, yeah, I really, really want to read that. Yeah, it sounds so good. And yeah, I think you you portrayed the sister dynamic just so well. And I really enjoyed it. And that's all I've got to say on that. <laughs> Thanks so much. Now, you briefly, um, you briefly touched on Mickey, the amateur sleuth, who kind of oozes charm and charisma and then starts to kind of the veneer of that kind of starts to come away a little bit and maybe she's not quite as fun and exciting as she initially seems to Teddy they do develop a close bond that's akin to sistership but I would say not quite right there's something like you said something off about their dynamic that I still can't put my finger on what it kind of was at that point mm -hmm. but it's such an interesting relationship and their dynamic is very chaotic at times did you enjoy writing the character Mickey she was my favorite character that does Obviously. not surprise me right <laughs> of course <laughs> um, but did you enjoy writing her as much as I enjoyed reading her <laughs> I did. I had a lot of fun writing. I mean, she was kind of, you know, I wanted her to be almost like a, a fan. So much of the book is filtered through Teddy's perspective. So there, I think there is this question of reliability too. you know, Teddy immediately is like, oh, she's, she's like a dead ringer for Angie. None of the other characters in the book, like really comment on that. So it, I think it's kind of an open question of whether Teddy's just projecting that onto her, but there is a way in which she's this sort of fantasy of Teddy's in the beginning of the book. Like she is a way for her to spend time with Angie, like get Angie back. You know, she looks like Angie. She has that kind of like punk rock aesthetic that Angie wanted and didn't quite achieve. She's like kind of the newer version of Angie. Um, but yeah, I think as the book goes on that, and I think this happens a lot with female friendships too, where you meet somebody and immediately like, you're like, they're perfect. Like if I could just be them, if I could consume them, if I could have their body. And so you're getting close to them in a way that's, it's almost um, like you're trying to take something and then inevitably, the closer you get to someone and the more time you spend with them, you start to see that they're a person. They're just like a normal person. They're damaged in a bunch of different ways that you may or may not be damaged. They have their own baggage. 
So when she first appears and she's like this fantasy character with no background, she's very appealing and sexy and really fun to write. And she has like these kind of great lines. She says all the things that like you'd think about saying after you left, you know, and and then like writing her into essentially someone who is just like a damaged child was I think very fulfilling in a way because it was like taking this character who I think similar to Teddy's half brother who had been almost more idea than person and the important thing for Teddy to understand is that like everyone else is also a real person everyone else is also living a real life like she is not here to serve your ends and so thinking about you know what what Teddy, what Mickey's background is and kind of having information that Teddy didn't have that was kind of fun and thinking about how to like deploy that I I thought she was great (laughs) she's such a great character and I really enjoyed you know the the reveals that we got about her and her life throughout and as much as she was enjoyable I also sometimes was like go away like why do you keep popping up like when she (laughs) turns up at the dinner I was like why are you here stop it (laughs) hang on hang on is this how you feel about me when I just rock up yes yes (laughs) Thank God a family had an opportunity to say it. <laughs> no, that, I, that is very like, I think also um, I was teaching a lot of Gothic literature at the time. And that's kind of where I, I knew I wanted this, this idea of like doppelgangers to come into the book. But I think that does feature in a lot of horror and in a lot of Gothic literature where you have a character who their, their like just keenness is, is off-putting. Like you're like, what are, what is your, end game here like what do you want and with Mickey the wanting her like yearning to be part of this family is so unsettling because they are the last family that anyone would want to be a part of so it is like what is your problem like why are you so interested in being like sleeping in this house and and being at dinner and I think just that eagerness makes her almost like a like a horror character I am also know that there's is it Naomi Klein that's written the book about doppelgangers as well and I I thought that was a novel and apparently it's not it's non-fiction um so I was very disappointed it's a what sorry it's all about the internet it's actually like really great yeah I really want to have you read it yeah oh I really want to read it what 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 is it about can you tell me just because I'm curious so it was born out of (laughs) this is pure laziness (laughs) <laughs> I'm scared to do my book review. Um, <laughs> Sorry, of, like, she kept getting mixed up with Naomi Wolf. Yes, a whack job, and <laughs> he was like, you know, looking into like why do people keep confusing with me with Naomi Wolf? And she said she started to get kind of obsessed with Naomi Wolf because she's like, I have to keep tabs on this woman because everyone thinks she's me. And I think that idea of you know the like horror of a doppelganger in classic literature is this idea that someone who is not you is kind of walking around passing for you in the world. And that happens on the internet all the time. So she kind of explores that and then thinks about the way in which like the internet creates these like mirror worlds in general, and that Mm -hmm. we're all positioning ourselves in opposition to like a doppelganger, um, or like creating these other selves, these like avatars who, who like roam the world online. So yeah, it was very relevant to me. <laughs> and um, I yeah really enjoyed it. I'm not supposed to be buying any more books, but you've sold four to oh, me in no. this episode. So this is, <laughs> this <laughs> is a problem. <laughs> we can't ask you for recommendations at the end. That is it. <laughs> you're at your limit now, Kate. Sorry. <laughs> um, 
Now we we've kind of briefly touched on it. I'm getting the book now. It's getting serious. There there are so many moments in the book that I loved and folded down the pages of, which Lydia will hate. And I did my little square around the quote that I wanted because it was so. She wants me to tab everything, and I refuse to. Um, it's just so easy. It's just so just get a tab. Don't want it. Don't want it. Do it purposely to book. wind you up. I'm bad. I'm also abusive to books, so I'm with you. We're winning. I'm, We're winning. Kate. I'm in the minority. I'm always in the minority. Every author we've got on is that he's, Good. he's talking down pages and doesn't know what a bookmark is. It's driving me mad. It's driving me mad. Please. We can't. We can't start you off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was talking before about how much I love reading about sisters but actually like what is like catnip to me and Lyd is reading about mother-daughter dynamics like there is nothing better just to get stuck into that and this was just one of my favorite mother-daughter relationships that I've ever read and um, it was so great and are you okay with me reading your book back to you yeah sure I would have been really upset if you'd have said no. Um, (laughs) I've done it anyway. I've done it anyway. Okay, Kate. Great question. We'd have edited out the no. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay, so there are a couple of moments that I felt were the the perfect kind of, the perfect way to articulate a mother-daughter dynamic, in my humble opinion. And if I spoil anything within these quotes, we can edit them out, but I'm hoping that, that I can get away with them. So we'll see. So the first bit is they're having a bit of a tiff. Every time I try to talk to her about dad's one-man cold case investigation, she shuts it down. Maybe he loved you all more, eh? Mom said the last time I brought it up. Maybe I should have kept at it. Maybe I should never have stopped looking for your sister and left you to feed yourself then. Is that it? Not the implication, I said. This doesn't need to be so difficult. I'm just cleaning everything up. I'm difficult, she said. Him, he goes off a bridge, but I'm difficult. Thank you for not driving off a bridge, I said. Much appreciated. So there's that. <laughs> and then I'm just, gonna, I had three quotes, but that's ridiculous. So I'm going to do. <laughs> so this one, I'm moving out, I say, and you're going to have to find a job. Wrap your head around those two facts. Mom looks like she's been slapped. Where would you have me work? I shrug. You'll think of something. Maybe you'll marry Rich again. Mom buries her head in her arm and makes soft sobbing sounds. It never ends. The humiliation never ends. <laughs> And I just, I loved that so much. I was literally like cackling reading that. Um, And then there was the moment that you spoke about before where she talks about only wanting to show this like perfect version of herself to a mom. And I think, you know, there were just so many different nuances and elements to a mother-daughter relationship that you just kind of, you showed every side of it, you know, the ridiculousness of it, you know, her mum like softly sobbing. I'm like, that's definitely been my mum at some point. Like my mum has done things like that where she just burst into tears for the sake of it. And I'm like, why are you crying? Stop it. Like you're just being so <laughs> overdramatic. And it's like, if anybody else was listening to that conversation and me being like, mum, shut up. They'd be like, Hannah, you're being so cruel, but you can be like that with your mum. Like the ridiculousness of it just absolutely killed me. And what I wanted to ask is, did you know going into the novel that you were going to write about mother do- this mother-daughter dynamic in such detail? Going in, I, I wanted to write a really healthy mother-daughter relationship because I had written a bunch of short stories. I know, it's crazy. And I... <laughs> And um, my first like kind of failed project that I talked about had this real villain of a mother who was this 
kind of abusive figure. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to challenge myself that there's so much kind of darkness in this book. This is going to be, the mom is going to be great. And so I knew a lot about Claire going into it. Like I knew her whole backstory and I loved her. And then of course, as like my husband made fun of me a lot for this too, because like as the novel progressed, that relationship got more and more kind of toxic, but I think it just got, it just felt more lived in. Like it was, mm-hmm. um, I just had a sense of how they would talk to each other and they, it couldn't be perfect. Like there's so much stress on them. And I think there's a lot of love there. And I love Claire as a character. And I think she's doing her best in a lot of ways. She's doing better than everybody else in the book. But yeah, she, like everyone has her blind spots. Like the idea of working to her is like, I would never, you know, like, (laughs) or like, you know, they're, they're weird about food. Like anytime Teddy eats something in front of her mother, she feels like slightly self-conscious about it. Not in a way that would ever rise to, you know, there's something horrible happening here. Like it's not a major thing, but just little things like that, where I thought about like, okay, well, what do these relationships feel like mm-hmm. on the ground? Her mom might make a comment, you know, like you're looking a little Zaftig and she's like, you can't just call me fat. <laughs> Like and that kind of passive aggressiveness that felt yeah maybe like how they would communicate but no I mean I I I had thought they were gonna have this like great perfect relationship and I'm incapable of writing such a thing I I just think that the perfect mother daughter relationship doesn't exist like yeah, this perfect I'm healthy like literally gonna say exactly the same thing I was like that is how. I feel like the mothers, I'm speaking to the parents, will probably understand this. But when you have your child, you're like, this is going to be the best relationship ever. We're never going to, aren't we? We're perfect for each other. And the baby gets a little bit older and you think, oh, it won't stop crying. And it just, you get to a point where now I will speak to my daughter and she just gives me full sass back. It's <laughs> like talking to myself, which is terrifying. But but it's that point where you think, oh, okay, okay. well, you're a different person than me. And for so long, I thought you were just going to be me. But you're not. Mm-hmm. You're like me mixed with a load of other weird things. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I feel like the the way that you write their relationship has just such an authenticity to it. Mm-hmm. And it just feels so, so real and grounded in reality. And I think that when when so much of Teddy's life is lived online and in kind of like this alternative reality, it's so good that when she is talking to her mom and she's in that environment with her mom, that she is kind of brought back down to the ground a little bit. And it's, it is through the way that they speak to each other. And I thought that was just brilliantly done. Thank and you. that's all I've got to say on that. No notes, Kate, no notes. <laughs> no notes, 10 out of 10. <laughs> so good and I also just want to say that um Lydia talking about her daughter there like she's this whole grown person she's four and she <laughs> no, yeah but she is four but she's going on 40 no I, I, like I completely my, my husband my son is still like kind of worships the ground I walk on but the way he and my husband talk to one another it's it's, it's like they're arch rivals sometimes like they <laughs> He said something the other day in front of my husband. He was like, don't you think daddy should try to be a little bit more significant? Where has that come from? I have no idea, honestly. He's crazy. But yeah. Um, yeah. You And you, I think you think like, oh, I love this person so much. That will mean everything is easy. But yeah. it means the opposite. It means like there's so much intensity there. And mm-hmm. it's 
it actually complicates it. Mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> I, want to, I want to read it for a third time. Oh, here we go. Overachiever in the corner over there, piping up. <laughs> I just love it so much. I feel very attached to this book. Oh, I know you. you are. We know you are. One of the things that I want to ask you before we do let you go, unfortunately, is that the book is so intricate and interesting and filled with kind of these motifs, particularly I felt of like the horror genre and that I kind of picked out as like a, a big horror fan myself, you know, like you were saying about the doppelganger and this kind of you've always got this sense of unease Mm. throughout it which I felt was brilliant um what are your kind of like literary influences Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that came out of like I said my my teaching so I was teaching a lot of 18th 19th century British lit a lot of gothic literature um Americans too like Poe and all the classics and I think you know Frankenstein is huge for me I love I mean I think when you're teaching something you read it so carefully I'm it's kind of like I'm sure your work like prepping to talk about a book you have to read it so much more closely Mm -hmm. and so you become really attached to those texts um but also I I think with film, I, I'm like a horror buff. Like I just love horror movies. So, and when I was writing the book, a lot of it was written on my first maternity leave. And I was in this like very strangely configured, it was a one bedroom apartment that we tried to make a two bedroom apartment in New York. So there, our living room was the hallway. And I just sat in there with the baby for like weeks. And it was just the two of us. And I watched horror movies like on my laptop and there were no windows. And so it was a really strange environment. And I'd kind of like wake up, try to write a couple of pages of the book. You know, we'd both kind of drift off to sleep, wake up. Like, so I think being in that headspace too, like that, that influenced parts of the book. And I love, I love contemporary thrillers that feel like they're in that kind of horror space, like Antoine Wilson's Mouth to Mouth or um, Katie Kitamura's Intimacies. Be Sutton had a book that came out last year called Berlin. Like all those books, I think the horror is happening on the sentence level. Like they, the sentences are just vibrating with tension and unease. And that craft wise is something I'm always on the lookout for because it's so hard to replicate. Like those books specifically, like Mouth to Mouth, Berlin, Intimacies, there's not a dead body. There's no kind of splashy monsters but that creeping sense that something is wrong is so built into the way the characters see the world and the the things they're picking up on. So yeah, those that is kind of like what I'm always chasing, I think, on a line level. I'm really relieved that I've actually got one of those that you've listed. <laughs> because you're costing me a lot of money here, Kate. <laughs> Berlin. Oh, I love Berlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're not borrowing it. I was just about to say, can I borrow it? <laughs> when I finish here, you can. Kate, thank you so much for coming on a pair of bookends. I am so sorry at our ridiculous ways. But also, this is what you sign up for when you come on the podcast. So, this is so fun. <laughs> Before we let you go, although I've already got some recommendations, we have to finish on recommendations. So have you got any for us? I um I just I haven't read it yet, but I heard um Gabrielle Korn read at a series in LA called um Empty Trash. I love this reading series because the premise is 
writers come and they read from things they've thrown away, like their discarded work. Love that. Wow. It's fun. Um, and sh- her trash was really great. So I, she just wrote yours for the taking, which I, um, I got at the series. Cause I was like, this is going to be really good. And it's set in like 2050 in this kind of futuristic universe. And um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that one. I also am finally getting into Larry McMurdy because everyone has been recommending. I'm just like a classic blind spot for me. So I got Leaving Cheyenne and uh, Lonesome Dove and I'm starting with Leaving Cheyenne. So that's what I'm on now. And then I don't know the book I always recommend if you love sister stuff, which I think everyone has read this book, but all my puny sorrows is like, I haven't like, read it. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you know what? I think did Meg Calvary recommend this? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, second time. So it means I've got to buy it. But that's about sisters. Yes. It's a, so it's about these two sisters, Yoli and Elfie. And Elf is this like concert pianist who is clinically depressed and wants to die. And she keeps trying to take her own life. And Yoli is like trying to stop her basically. Um, And it does not sound funny. It does not sound, but it is very funny. And it's the best. Like it is so good and just like gorgeously written. And yeah, like if, I mean, if you need like a good cry, it's, I would say it's not dark. It's like very, I mean, it is obviously because depression and suicide, but, but it's not like cynical. It's very sweet. And it really does like get that sister that like love between sisters really right. Legitimately, you should have seen the look that me and Hannah just have like, (laughs) it's ticking the boxes. (laughs) Like, Sold. Sold. (laughs) Like, yes. No, but I felt really awful because I was in the, like, I got quite hyper during this. I don't know why. I got quite happy during this recording. I got really excited for this recommendation. I was like really cheesy smiling. And then I clocked myself doing this really cheesy smile while she was talking about suicide and depression. And I was like, Hannah, wipe that smile off your face. What are you doing? But once again, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. So why not laugh? That's fair. Yeah, that's true. Um, (laughs) Kate, thank you so much for for coming on on a pair of bookends. And for our listeners, Rabbit Hole is out now. Uh, Go get your copies for our American and UK listeners. You can all get yourselves copies. So, you know, it's like a free for all now. Stunning. I'm I'm very jealous for everyone that's going to read it for the first for the first time, I might have to go and read it for a third and fourth. Oh, it, it can't, can't I'm very, it's very great. attached to this book. It's actually... I know you are. <laughs> um, so we thank you, Kate, for, for writing it. But where can our listeners find you on social media? Uh, so I am at Kate Brody Author on Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, that's Instagram is probably my most updated one. And I had a quick scan through... Um, before of your Instagram and you do have a lot of good book recommendations on there so I'm probably gonna have to unfollow you because that's just gonna be chaos for my bank account you know it's not <laughs> but I'll try to keep it to a minimum please don't <laughs> yeah I've just absolutely I don't want to let you go is that obvious <laughs> it was so fun talking to you thank you so much for having me no thank you and listeners if you want to give us a follow as well you can do so at a pair of bookends pod on instagram and at a pair of bookends on twitter and tiktok thank you so much for listening and goodbye thank you